Well, how are we doing, family? It is so good to be with you on this post-Thanksgiving Day weekend, and I am honored that we get to continue to worship together by worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords through engaging the Word of God together today. So those of you here in Rock Island, men in Kiwani, those of you joining us online, to our family in Bettendorf, love you guys. And I'm so glad uh, that you're here, and I hope that you have had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, one of the things I love about Thanksgiving, apart from the ability to spend the entire day in my pajamas, which by the way is a reason to celebrate on any day, all right? Um, so apart from being able to be in my pajamas with my family, watch the Macy's Day Parade, and of course the food, the one thing that I love about Thanksgiving is the moment that it creates for me simply to reflect on all of the things that I have to be thankful for. In many ways, Thanksgiving is a recalibrating moment for me and for us to, especially in the midst as we're stepping into Christmas in which we're bombarded with the messages of what we should have or what we need to have or what will make our life complete. I mean, you guys know the message, right? But it's kind of a recalibrating moment to reflect on all that we really do have and all that we have to be grateful for God for. And so I hope that you had a moment uh, this Thanksgiving to do that. And if you haven't, I encourage you some point, maybe it's after services today or maybe even at the end of message, we'll We'll have a moment to just simply reflect, take time to just reflect on all that God has done and let that be a moment to help you recalibrate your focus as we lean in to this Christmas season together uh, this year. And so as we engage the Word of God together, I want to do so by revisiting the truth that we looked at last week. So if you were here last week, uh, we continued in our Go Be Love emphasis. And in fact, if you weren't here, I really encourage you to get online, go to theheritageqc.com, click on the media tab and watch last week's message because as part of that emphasis, we took a moment as a church family to look at and to celebrate all that God has done in and through you and through me and us as a church family as we have committed to go be loved over the last year. It's incredible what God has done, and you're going to want to check that out. But as part of our time together, apart from celebrating, we took a look at one truth, and the truth was simply this, that how we live displays who we love. How we live displays who we love. And I mean, we see that throughout Scripture. Uh, but the passage of Scripture that we really dug into last week was Isaiah 58, especially in verse 6 and 7, in which uh, essentially what God says through the prophet Isaiah, and he's talking about the context of fasting, but essentially what God is saying in verses 6 and 7 is that if you want to encounter me, if you want to in encounter me in my favor, in my direction, in my provision, in increasing ways in your life, then I encourage you and I'm calling you to live this way. And he goes in verse 6 to say, if you want to encounter me and in greater measures, then live in such a way that those who are dealing with the, the chains of injustice live in a way that you are pursuing justice for them, the restoration of all things, the wholeness. Live in such a way that that is happening and you'll encounter me. He continues to go on in verse 6 to say, live in such a way that those who are in, embedded and embroiled in, in bondage, live in such a way in which you are helping those people encounter freedom and live in a way in which you are proclaiming a message of freedom. He goes on in verse 7 to say, listen, when you see somebody that is hungry, feed them. If you see somebody who is a wanderer, provide shelter for them. If you see somebody that is naked, if you want to encounter me in increasing ways, Live in such a way that you are demonstrating acts of compassion and meeting real-time needs. He goes on to say, live in such a way that you are willing to go into the dark places of our world, into places that are marked by deep despair and hopelessness, and whether through word or through action, proclaim a message of hope. 
And it's the scripture in Isaiah 58 in which God is saying, I have called you to go be love. And in order for us to truly express love in the world around us, in the places we find ourselves, we have to be a people as followers of Jesus who are committed to living out all four of those things. Risking to engage issues of injustice, demonstrating acts of compassion, going into places where there is bondage, bondage and pro, uh, proclaim a message of freedom, and going to places of despair and provide a message of hope. And God is saying, if you want to encounter me and experience me in increasing ways, this is how I've asked you to live. And then in verse 8, this promise, this truth that, you know, how we live uh, displays who we love is lived out in the promise in verse 8 of chapter 58 of Isaiah. It says this, then, then as you seek to go be loved, as you live the way that I've encouraged you and created you to live in verses 6 and 7, then your light will break forth like the dawn. Your light is kind of that, that life, that joy, that light in the darkness. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness, your right living, your obedience, your, your commitment to go be loved will go before you. And it says, the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. The glory of the Lord, the same glory that scripture says the heavens declare the glory of God. That same glory, this, this promise in Isaiah 58 says will be our rear guard. Our rear guard is kind of a, is a picture of protection. And essentially what God is saying is, as you commit to go be loved and live in these ways, as you go into spaces, I got your back, right? As you take a risk to go be loved and to live this way, don't worry, the glory of the Lord, I have your back, right? So it's a promise of protection, but it's also a promise that we will reflect God's glory, it's as if God is saying, listen, when you see that person that is need, or that person that is naked and you clothe them, you see that wander and you provide shelter for them, I want you to know that as you interact with them, and as you turn and you walk out the door, what people are going to see is not you. They're going to see me. They're going to see Jesus. His glory will be our rear guard. How we live displays who we love. And I love that as a church, our posture is in that all that we do in our missional investments in our ministries, both inside the walls, like this weekend, or outside the walls through different ministries and ministry partners that we love and serve, our heart as a church is that Jesus will be the hero of the story. That he will be the one who gets the credit. That he will be the one who gets the glory because he and he alone is worthy of it. Amen? Amen. And so last week we had a moment where we looked at that truth together. And one of the things we did is we looked at, and I encourage you to take a look at our, our faith promise uh, brochure. All right, this is kind of a, a snapshot of what we feel like God is positioning us in the coming year as a church as we seek and commit to go be loved, to be a part of in and through our cities. And I encouraged you last week to take a look at that uh, and to just take some time seeking God's face and just saying, God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to be a part of that? And I'm sure that as some of us sought God's face, that he put, I hope all of us, a desire within us to pray. To pray for the ministries of the church, to pray through for our ministry partners. And I hope that if God stirred in you and spoke that way, that you will be faithful and obedient to live that out uh, this year. For others, God stirred within you a desire to jump on one of the ministry teams and be part of the story that God is writing in and through us as a church and through our ministry partners. And I encourage you, step boldly and confidently into that, knowing that God has gone before you, that his glory will be your rear guard for some of us in the room, God stirred within us a, a, a call, really, to be a part of partnering with this financially. And my ask of you simply is to continue to seek his face and to do whatever he asks of you. And, and when you feel like you know what God has asked of you, I encourage you, there's a commitment card in there uh, that you can fill out. You can drop in the bucket as we receive tithes and offerings at the end of the service this week or next week, a month from now, whenever you hear from God. Uh, and I encourage you to articulate that just so that we know uh, what you're committed to and how we uh, can pray for you. And so we talked a little bit about that last week, but we 
also uh, unpacked a number of unique ways that God is positioning us as a church this Christmas season to go be loved. That literally is positioning us to impact thousands of people throughout our cities. And you can see all the details on the left panel of your worship folder together today. Um, but one of those opportunities uh, had to do with a relationship with the Kiwani Life Skills Reentry Center. Kind of where our Kiwani campus is. And as I shared that after services, I had somebody at our Bettendorf campus literally stop me in the lobby and with with tears running down her face, she said, I am so thankful that you as a church would be committed to, to coming alongside these inmates and, and providing Christmas gifts for them so that it can help strengthen their relationship with family as they prepare to transition back into society. And she shared literally with tears running down her face that her son had been incarcerated a number of years ago and that there was somebody that came alongside him and did exactly what, what God is positioning us to do this Christmas. And she shared with me just crying at the impact that that small act of compassion had on their family and how it positioned her son to truly connect with his child in a way that, that he hadn't before. And then she looked and she showed me two of the tags that she had taken off the Christmas tree. And she said, in the same way that somebody blessed my family years ago, I want to be part of the story that God is writing and I want to pay it forward. And it was just a powerful example of me of what God is doing and how he is positioning us to impact thousands uh, throughout our city. So I encourage you to jump in and be a part of that. In fact, uh, I love the passion by which we as a church family give. Last weekend, we had nearly 2,000 tags on trees out in the lobbies of our campuses. And do you know how many tags were left at the end of our services? Zero. Zero. How incredible is that? Zero tags were left. In other words, you and I and us as a church family, the passion by which we go about giving is committing and saying, listen, I want to be part of the story that God is writing. And I love, love, love what God is doing in and through us. And I can't wait to see what he does this Christmas. So I encourage you, jump in, be a part of that. Um, but one thing I shared with you that our Vita Nueva family is kind of championing or owning was a community-wide Thanksgiving meal. All right? In partnership with uh, the Moline Police Department and High V, uh, we expected that this last Tuesday, as, as uh, Vida Nueva hosted this dinner for the Florescente community, we expected roughly 150 or so people to be there. But as you see these pictures, you're going to notice there were a whole lot more than 150 people there. In fact, listen to this. This last week, Tuesday, our Vida Nueva family served and created a space for people to encounter home for nearly 300 people right there at the Esperanza Center. Nearly 300 people came and, and had an opportunity to have a great Thanksgiving meal, and, and they gave away bikes and all kinds of cool stuff. But at the heart of it was our desire that those that we had a chance to love and serve would see Jesus. You see, we are committed that Jesus would be the hero of the story. Now, last week I shared this diagram, and we've looked at this a number of times, but everything that we're leaning into in our missional investments and faith promise and, and Vida Nueva, all of our Christmas things that you and I get to be a part of are all expressions of this second gap ministry. As the saved people of God, we are committed to be a people who go be loved, to build bridges, to meet people where they're at, so that as we gain and develop trust and credibility, that we might have the opportunity, after they see Jesus in you and in me, to, in, to position them to accept the invitation to come home to God through a relationship with Jesus. And our God is doing that, and he's giving us opportunities collectively as a church family more and more to do that. But what I don't want us to lose track of is, 
As incredible as it is that God is positioning us collectively as a church to live that out, he is also positioning you and I individually in different contexts, in different places, where we can, where he is asking us to go be loved so that the glory of the Lord can be our rear guard. In fact, I got an email uh, this weekend that I just had to share with you. And it was from one of our Heritage family members who, who shared that she works in a context where she interacts with a number of clientele. They meet real-time needs, especially in relationship to like homelessness and addiction and, and, and some of those things. And so she shared with me that over the course of time, she's had a chance to develop a relationship with a lot of those that they serve. And, um, and in an effort to kind of develop further and deeper relationships, she began a Bible study. And so a lot of these uh, clients would come to the Bible study. And then last week, she invited them to come to church. And so a few of them responded, decided that they would come. And it was at service last week that she sent me an email that one of the gentlemen that was with her um, heard the message and was blessed by it. And that he went home with this diagram that we took a look at. And over the course of the week, asked question after question after question of her just wrestling with it, mulling on it. And then this last Thanksgiving, they, they had a Thanksgiving meal that they, they, as an organization, served those that they have an opportunity to serve. And after the, at the end of Thanksgiving, the meal, he pulled her aside and said, can I ask you a question? And she asked a couple more questions. And within a matter of moments in the email she shared with me that I had a chance to lead him into relationship with Jesus. Right? I had a chance to lead him into relationship with Jesus because what she was committed to doing was being one who developed relationship, report, invested in people, developed credibility. And then when God opened a door, she was the one by which he was able to accept the invitation to come home to God through a relationship with Jesus. And I love that. I love that God is working through us individually and corporately as the Heritage family. And I encourage you, this year, don't miss it. Because I feel like we are just scratching the surface, literally, of what God wants to do in and through us as a church. As we commit to go be love. But as we have a conversation together today and we engage the word, I want to have a conversation about what it is that fuels you and I. If you are a follower of Jesus today, what is it that fuels you and I to truly go be loved? What is like that motivation or the catalyst that really gets us to be one who stepped out of our comfort zone, to go out of our way to meet people where they're at and to, and to build bridges? And in order to have that conversation, I want to unpack one truth together this weekend. And it's this simple truth that our response to what God has done for us our response to what God has done for us, both in, in demonstrating his love for us and sending his own son to bear our sin, to bear our shame, for him to hang on the cross, his body broken, his blood poured out for us. Our response to that, that's the gospel, right? Or our response to the way that he has provided for us day in and day out. Or our response to the gifts that he gives us. The book of James says that every good and perfect gift comes from him, right? And our response to what God has done for us impacts our availability, for him to work through us. Our response to what God has done for us impacts our availability for him to work through us. Now, make sure you don't misinterpret what this, what this truth is. It's not our response to what God does for us impacts his ability to work in us. All right, here's the deal. God, we see this throughout scripture. He can work whenever, through whoever he wants at any time, right? In fact, I, I find great comfort in knowing that in scripture, God uses a donkey, all right? And I am convinced that if God can use a donkey, he can use me. Some of you are encouraged by that today, right? <laughs> so this is not a conversation about God's ability. This is a conversation about our availability, about our willingness to engage. And it's a conversation about our response to what God has done for us is ultimately what positions us to either be available or to not be available. 
Now, you may be asking, well, what are the responses? And there's really, I think, two responses that we see throughout Scripture and that you and I encounter on a daily basis. And the first one is a response of gratitude, of gratitude. In fact, here's what gratitude is. Gratitude is the quality of being thankful, or it's the readiness to show appreciation and to return kindness. And it's this posture of gratitude, this response of gratitude, that as I look at Scripture, that I am convinced is truly the fuel for you and I to be a people who live on mission, who go be loved. It's this response of gratitude that God desires from you and from me that ultimately positions us to be a part of the story that he is writing in and through us and all around the world. But the second response is simply one of forgetfulness. It's one of indifference. And I want to be clear, this isn't just a one-time response, right? I mean, most of us in the room, if you stepped into relationship with Jesus, the first time you heard the gospel and you responded to it, you were overwhelmed, I am certain, with thankfulness and gratitude for what God had done for you, right? And in that moment, we are overwhelmed with gratitude. But what I'm talking about is not just a one-time decision, but a daily decision, a daily response for you and for me to what God has done for us. It's that response, whether we choose gratitude or we choose forgetfulness or indifference, that ultimately determines whether we'll be available for God to work through us. Now, there's a guy in the Old Testament, kind of a hero of the faith named Moses. And Moses got this. Some of you maybe are new to the Bible. Moses was probably one of the greatest leaders of God's people in the Old Testament. Right? God's people were in slavery for hundreds of years in Egypt. And it was Moses that God positioned and, and rose up to lead his people out of slavery. And, and God accompanied Moses' leadership with incredible things. I mean, just miraculous things. Dividing the Red Sea, all kinds of crazy stuff. And it was Moses that ultimately led God's people, not just out of Egypt and out of slavery, but brought them to the edge of the promised land, the land that God had promised to his people. And Moses sent spies into the land. They came back. And ultimately, the people of God in that moment chose not to live in a posture of gratitude, all right, for what God had done and a reminder of his faithfulness and the miraculous things that he had done. They chose in that moment to forget and ultimately didn't trust God. They were afraid to go into the promised land because there were people that were, they were big. They thought that they would die if they tried to enter that land. And so what happened is the Israelites had to wander in the desert for 40 years. And after 40 years of wandering the desert, they find themselves back at the same spot on the side of the river. And picture this, looking over the river at the promised land. They can see the beauty. They can see the lushness of the fruit. Like they are ready to enter the land. And Moses has one more opportunity as their leader to address them. In some ways, it's kind of his farewell address. He knows he's not going into the promised land. And he knows he's getting one more shot to talk to his people, the people he had led out of Egypt and in seeing do incredible things. And he has one opportunity to address them. And in that opportunity, he unpacks, reminds them of the law, how God's encouraged them to live. But in there, he displays this importance of them consistently living in a posture of gratitude and not forgetting what God had done. And this is what he says in Deuteronomy chapter 8, starting verse 10. He says, when you have eaten, this is after you've gone into the promised land, when you have eaten and are satisfied, it says what? Praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. But then he goes on with a word of warning. He says, be careful that you do not, what? Be careful that you don't forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. He goes on to say, he says, otherwise, when you eat and you are satisfied and when you build fine houses and you settle down and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold in increase and all that you have is multiplied, then, listen to this, it says, your heart will become proud 
And you will forget the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. It's as if Moses is imploring them, listen, we've done this before. We've forgotten God before. Don't do it again. Choose a posture of gratitude, not forgetfulness. It's as if Moses, the the words of Psalm 106 are playing in his mind, a, a memory of this in which it says this in Psalm 106. It says the memory of when which they forgot God. In which it says they forgot the God who saved them and who had done great things in Egypt. The miracles in the land of Ham and the awesome deeds by the Red Sea. It's as if Moses is sitting there in that moment imploring them with the reminder of what they had done before, how they had forgot God. He's saying, listen, God has immeasurably more than you could ever ever ask or imagine in store for you. So be a people that respond in a posture of gratitude over and over, that intentionally look to remind yourself of what God has done and what he has given you. Don't be a people like we were in the, in the, in the desert that forgot our God. And that same message that Moses had to the Israelites that day is a message that I think he would proclaim to you and to me. Because God has immeasurably more in store for you and for me, any, more than we could ever ask or imagine. But it will be directly linked to our willingness to consistently respond with a posture of gratitude for what he has done for us. And see, this is where the challenge comes in. Because it's the same challenge that the Israelites face, that you and I face. And it's the challenge that the reality is that gratitude doesn't come naturally. It doesn't come naturally for us. In fact, it's a choice. Gratitude doesn't come naturally. It's a choice. And to kind of illustrate this, let me remind you of the last time you interacted with a two-year-old. Anybody done that? (laughs) Right? All right, in case you haven't, let me show you a picture of my two-year-old daughter. This is Ava uh, up here. And so Ava is my two-year-old. Here she is, all right? Incredibly beautiful, right? I mean, huge smile, just all kinds of energy, just joyful and exuberant. I mean, a happy girl. Check out the second picture, all right? That gives you a little better picture of the dimples. I mean, they just kill me, right? I mean, as a dad, she just has me in her hand, right? But this is the Ava that we get to see day in and day out. Listen, when she's getting what she wants. Because when Ava, my beautiful daughter, joyful girl, doesn't get what she wants, well, this is actually what we get right here. Now, let me be clear. This isn't her puckering her lips to give her daddy a kiss. That's not what's going on here, all right? This is her just with all that attitude and sass that she can possibly muster saying, "Uh uh-uh, daddy, that's not what I want, right? Now, some of you may be wondering which parent she got that from, all right? And just so that we're clear, let me show you a picture of her mother. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm a lot smarter than I look, folks, all right? (laughs) But here's the deal. Ava got that from both of us. She got that from her mom and from her dad. And even a grander scope, you got that same tendency from your mom and from your dad. And your parents got it from their parents. And their parents got it from their parents. You see, for us, gratitude doesn't come naturally. Our natural tendency as a people is to forget what God has done. It's to, to focus and, and be about the things that we want and completely ignoring the very things that we have and that God has blessed us with. We see this throughout the Old Testament and the, the New Testament. Go all the way back to Adam and Eve, right? Adam and Eve, the one that God created in his image, the one he placed them in a garden that he created. I can't even fathom how beautiful that was, right? God places them there and says, listen, you can eat whatever you want. This entire place is yours. The only thing I ask of you is not to eat from those trees right there. I mean, Adam and Eve got to walk with God. Check this out. Every day, they got to walk with him. 
But in a moment, the serpent, right, Satan comes to them and tempts them and says, listen, why don't you go ahead and eat that fruit? Look how good that fruit looks. And in that moment, their response wasn't one of a posture of gratitude. I mean, I feel like Adam and Eve could have stopped and looked around and said, but yeah, but look at Look at all that God has given us. I mean, we get to walk with the creator of the ends of the earth. How incredible is that? That wasn't their response at all. Instead of choosing gratitude, they forgot. And in that moment, they reached out, they grabbed the fruit, and they ate of it. And in that moment, the world completely changed. Sin entered the world. You see, and we see that in Adam and Eve. We see that in the Israelites in the passage of Scripture that we just looked at. Then they forgot God. We see it over and over throughout Scripture. In fact, there's a passage in Luke chapter 17, a story in which 10 lepers encounter Jesus, all right? Lepers are, had leprosy, all right? Leprosy was a skin disease. It was highly contagious, but the social ramifications were significant, all right? Those who contracted leprosy would literally have to leave their families, leave their friends, leave their communities. They would have to set up shop on the outskirts of town, on the outskirts of the community. They were kind of the, those who had been ostracized and, and outcasts and sent out. It was so embarrassing, in fact, they were deemed unclean. And if they entered a, a place where there were people who were clean, who didn't have leprosy, they would have to announce their presence by putting their hands up in the air and saying, I'm unclean, I'm unclean, just so you know, I'm unclean. In case it's not obvious, in case I'm not embarrassed enough, let me proclaim to you that I am dirty, that I'm unclean, that I'm wanted, unwanted. I am the one who doesn't deserve to be part of your community, right? You sense the embarrassment and the shame that these men and women encountered. And so these 10 lepers have an encounter with Jesus at a distance. And in their encounter, Jesus says, listen, I want you to go show yourself to the priest, which was what they would do if they had been healed. So the priest would examine them and look at them and go, okay, you're clean. You can go back home. And so Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest, knowing that as they walked there, they were going to be completely healed. And sure enough, these 10 lepers go to the priest and on their way there, they are completely healed. And I have no doubt that they, all 10 of them, in their mind, the first thing they wanted to do was go home, run home, to hug their family, to kiss their bride, to see their friends, to catch up with their family, to feel part of a community again. I have no doubt that that was true of all 10 of them, but do you know how many actually came back to Jesus and expressed gratitude and praise to him? Just one. Just one. Out of 10 lepers, that all were healed. Only one came back to Jesus. And scripture declares that with a loud voice, he came back praising God and giving gratitude to Jesus for what he had done. He had healed him. And so Jesus responds to him this way in verse 17. He says, Jesus asked, were not all 10 cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to the man, the one man who came back, he said, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. I mean, this is a crazy story, isn't it? I mean, all 10 of them had been healed. All 10 of them had the desire to run back home. But only one came to Jesus. Only one. And here's where this story gets challenging for you and for me today. Is that the reality is, is that most of the time, most of us live like the nine lepers that forgot Jesus. Most of us forget on a day-to-day -day basis what God has done for us. And we fail to live in a consistent posture of gratitude like that one leper who ran back to Jesus. And I got to be honest with you, I'm guilty of this more than I would like to admit. You see, in the pace and pressure of our world, which by the way is only getting quicker and it's only getting heavier, 
And with the pace and pressure in our world and the message that consistently rings through our mind, almost like a soundtrack of our life that you need more, you should have more, you're entitled to more. That soundtrack is, is the very thing that many times for many of us pushes away the need to remember and to be grateful for what God has given us. We all have a story of this, every single one of us. In fact, it was this time last year that my wife and I and my family, my wife Jessie, uh, were, were dealing with the aftermath of a flood in our basement, all right? Um, thankfully, we caught it early, but we found out that the, the drain outside of our home had been blocked by tree branches, all right? And we were the lucky recipients of the news that we were the lowest point in our cul-de-sac, right? And so literally the sewage from our neighborhood is coming up through our drain, and like I said, we caught it early. Praise God we did. And we had buckets and we were running to the sump pump and doing what we could do. And, and of course, this was tragic. I mean, it was disgusting. But kind of one humorous moment is one of our neighbors started to do laundry in the middle of this. And so their, their suds from their soap began to bubble up, which kind of changed the smell for us. And we were grateful for that. Right? <laughs> so thankfully, the city got there and they got, they, they got their drain taken care of and it stopped coming through our floor. And, and so we reached out to our insurance company and, and we were stoked. We were excited that they were willing to cover uh, two walls uh, that had been touched maybe by the flood and then the carpet and the floor covering. And I mean, we were stoked and it took a couple months to get approvals and do what we needed to do. But finally, we were at a place where our contractor showed up to the house and broke into the wall and we were just excited. This was finally going to be over. But as our contractor broke into the wall, he discovered that we had black mold everywhere in our basement. Every single wall had black mold all over the place. And it's in this moment that we went to the insurance and their insurance said, hey, we don't cover anything mold related. You're on your own. All we're going to cover are the two walls and what we told you we'd cover before. And it's in this moment that I wish that I could tell you that Jesse and I were overwhelmed with, with gratitude and remembered all that God had done for us and how he had been faithful to us. And, and, and I wish I could tell you that with great confidence that we chose to, to give God praise even in the midst of our storm. But that's not what happened for us. You see, in that minute, and in those moments, and in fact, in the next week or two ahead, Jesse and I really kind of sulked. We did. We, in, in many ways, kind of expressed like self-pity, and, and in some ways, just angry, right? And it was after a week or two in which we continued in this posture of forgetting what God had done for us, it was almost like the Holy Spirit stirred within us a reminder of what he had done for us how he had shown himself faithful over and over and over. It was like this moment in which a light bulb went off and, Je and Jesse and I decided rather than being in a place of self-pity that we were going to remind ourselves that God had provided a home for us. We had a home to live in. It was cold outside and we had a home that had heat. We had a family, listen to this, that had no ill effects health-wise from the black mold that had been growing in our basement. We had food on our table. And not to mention that, over the course of our nine, ten years of marriage, God had provided every single thing we needed. And in a moment, our response changed. We said, God, we're going to praise you regardless. You've been faithful before. You'll be faithful now, and you're going to be faithful tomorrow. And it was incredible. We, we kind of resigned ourselves to say, listen, we'd rather have no finished basement with no mold than a finished basement with mold. Probably a good decision, right? And so we decided we are going to rip out all of our walls, gut our entire basement. We're going to let the insurance put up two walls and whatever they're willing to do. And then we are just going to trust that God will provide and over time we'll save money, right? And we were in a really good place. And then God did something incredible. And I don't even remember exactly how it happened, but somebody found out, somebody here in our heritage family found out about this. And within a matter of days, listen to this. God provided everything 
that was needed for us to completely gut our basement and to completely rebuild it better than before, right? It's an incredible story, both of generosity of some of you who are watching this and, and interacting with me, right? It's an incredible story of generosity and a story of the power of what it means when we interact in community and live linked. I mean, those are incredible things. But more than that, it is a story of God's faithfulness, and how he showed himself faithful over and over and over, and even in the midst of this scenario. And so listen, I know that we live in a world today in which we're going 100 mile an hour. Every single one of us here is going 100 mile an hour. We're being pulled in multiple directions. We have soundtracks telling us that we need more, we should have more, we're entitled to more. There are flooded basement realities in our world, emergencies that come up, and the people that need us. But here's the, here's the deal. How we respond in those moments will determine how we can navigate them. If we respond in a space of forgetfulness, we'll wallow in a place of anger and self-pity and doubt. But if we can remind ourselves and be intentional about reminding ourselves of what God has done and we live in a posture of gratitude, now we become available for God to do immeasurably more through us than we could ever ask or imagine, even in the midst of the disaster. In fact, there's a passage of scripture in Philippians chapter 4 that says this. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with what? With thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I mean, this is an incredibly challenging passage of scripture, but one that provides great comfort. Because, because what Paul, the Apostle Paul is writing, which by the way, he's in prison when he writes this, right? He is saying, listen, life is going to throw things at you. You're going to encounter obstacles that seem insurmountable. You're going to engage things that want to lead you to places of fear and places of anxiety. But he said, in that moment, stop, hit the pause button and respond in a posture of gratitude. Remind yourself what God has done for you. Look around you at what you do have. And then as you have placed yourself in a posture of gratitude, by all means, ask God for what you need. By prayer and petition, ask him, but don't forget the gratitude. And he says, and when you do that, it, the scripture goes on to say, in the peace of God that transcends all understanding. My translation is that doesn't make any sense. The peace that makes no sense to you, you will have. He will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. You see, our response to what God has done for us day in and day out impacts our availability for him to work through us. It's that posture of gratitude that is the fuel that fuels us to live the life God desires for us. It's out of gratitude that we can live on mission. It's out of an overflow of the gratitude in us that God positions us to use us today. And so you may be asking the question, so what? What does this mean for me today? What does this mean for me today? And if it's true that our response to what God has done for us impacts our availability for him to work through us, then let me ask you today, what's the status of your gratitude tank, so to speak? How frequently, can I ask you, how frequently do you take time to hit the pause button on the soundtrack of this world and of this life that you need more, you want more, you're entitled to more, look at what you don't have, blah, 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 blah. How often do you hit the pause button to simply look around and say, look at all God has given me. Look at all that I have to be grateful for. What's the status today of your gratitude tank? In fact, look at this passage of scripture out of Colossians chapter 2. It says, so then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, 
rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with what? Thankfulness. Thankfulness. Let me ask you today. Are you overflowing with thankfulness today? If you look at your life and you evaluate your gratitude tank, are you like, man, I'm just bubbling up. I'm overflowing. I can't wait. Like, is that where you're at today? And if you're not, can I ask you another question? And I ask you to consider this. This is a so what moment. What's one way? What's one way that you can build into your regular rhythm, your regular routine, intentional moments to hit the pause button on the soundtrack of life and to intentionally focus on the things that you have to be grateful for? What's one way that you can do that? I have a friend of mine who sets an alarm on their phone every day at noon. The alarm goes off and they take that moment to, to express gratitude for one or two things that maybe has even happened in that first half of the day, the things that they have to be thankful for. I know others who have gratitude journals that, that sit right next to their bed and before they go to bed tonight, they identify two or three things that they are grateful for. It's an intentional decision on their part to live in a posture of gratitude. There's a writer, author, and researcher by the name of Brene Brown, and she's wrote a number of great books, but she wrote one called The Gifts of Imperfection. And as part of that book, she begins to unpack uh, some research that she did in regards to joy and gratitude. And she said kind of her hypothesis, so to speak, is that as she found people who expressed greater levels of joy, that they just would naturally be more grateful. Right? I mean, it kind of makes sense. We think about that. I think I'd have that hypothesis. But what she found in her research was that it was actually those who practiced gratitude those who had intentional moments in their life where they built in time to hit the pause button and to, to reflect on what they had to be grateful for, those people who practiced gratitude more frequently expressed greater levels of joy. And in the same way, my, my call and my ask of you and for me today is that we would be a people who practice gratitude because our response to what God has done for us impacts our availability for him to work through us. And it's my prayer and it's God's heart for us and he created us to be a grateful people because that, out of that gratitude, that's the fuel, that the overflow of thankfulness, the overflow of gratitude that God then positions us to go be love, to take risk, to truly love people. And so what I want to do today as we close is I want to create a space just simply for you to reflect. Kind of like Thanksgiving, a moment to recalibrate and to think about the things that you and I are grateful for today. And as we do that, I can think of no better way to reflect on what God has done for us than for us to take communion as a family. Now, communion is a, a sacred moment. It's a sacrament in which we remember the sacrifice that our God made on our behalf, in which he sent his own son, Jesus, fully God, fully man, sent him into this world to bear our sin, to bear our shame, when he hung on a cross where his body was broken and his blood was poured out for us. And so communion is a, a sacred moment for those of us who profess to be followers of Jesus. Today, if you have professed to be a follower of Jesus, you say, I, I've, I've confessed with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, and I believe in my heart that he rose again from the dead, that the word says that you are saved. And if that's where you are today, I encourage you in a moment as our worship team plays at each of our locations, our ushers are going to come forward, and they're going to they're pass a plate. And in that plate, you're going to find two cups stacked on top of each other. And I encourage you to grab both of those cups. How many cups are there? Two, right? Grab both of those cups, and I encourage you, hold one in each hand. You see, one is going to have the bread. And it's that bread that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, that he took and he gave thanks for. And he broke it, and he said, this is my body, broken for you. It's that bread that Jesus handed to the disciples, and he said, take and eat in remembrance of me. Then in the same way, in that second cup that you'll have in your hand, 
Jesus took the cup, and after dinner, he lifted it to heaven and gave thanks for it. And he looked around the table at his disciples, those who were his followers, and said, Take and drink. This is my blood that was poured out to you as a sign of the new covenant. And may this be a moment where you, with the elements in your hand, take a time to just reflect on all that you have to be grateful for. The elements in your hand alone is enough to reflect in the posture of gratitude. So take a moment to reflect, to recalibrate, to think of all that God has given you. Ask yourself deep within your heart, am I really overflowing with thankfulness? And take a moment to reflect with gratitude on what God has done. Take a moment to examine yourself and to say, Lord, is there any offensive way in me, anything that I need to get right with you today before I take communion? And may this be a moment where you examine yourself. You ask for forgiveness so then, when you are ready, listen, when you're ready, you take communion on your own right where you're at. Nobody's going to prompt you. No one's going to lead you. It's simply a moment for you to reflect and to recalibrate to, in a posture of gratitude. Thank God for what he has done for you. For some of you that are gluten-free, there's an option in the back of our worship center. Each of our locations encourage you, go back. We want to serve you in that way. But listen, our response to what God has done for us, our response to what he has done for us impacts our availability for him to work through us. May you and I be a people who are marked by gratitude, who out of an overflow of gratitude commit to go be love. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for all that you have blessed us with. God, we have more to be grateful for than we can even even reflect on in this moment. And so Jesus, I pray as we hold the elements in our hand, that God, we would have an overwhelming sense of gratitude today. May this be a moment in which we can recalibrate and reflect on the things that you have done for us. Lord, I pray in these moments you'd also give us great clarity on how we can build more intentional moments just like this into our normal routine so that we can be marked as, by a, as a people of gratitude. And so God, as we reflect now, as we worship you, as we take communion, may you meet with us, God. And may we give you great, great praise and great glory and great, great honor in and through our lives as we become the people that you've created us to be and commit to go be loved. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen.